Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called My Podcast Has Some Small Blisters and Would Like to Go to the Front of iTunes, Please. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How are you, Matt? I'm doing fine, although I will say I did not appreciate having to get up that extra hour early to cover the race. Uh, it slightly interrupted my brunch, so I feel your pain. Yes, I had to get up at 5.30, so um, yeah. But Matt, it was certainly not a classic race on the track, but loads of drama in this fascinating run into the 2018 title. Yeah, we've reached the soap opera season, as it were. I think this might be one of the most fascinating and great driver title battles of our generation, certainly since we've been podcasting. Yeah, definitely since we've been podcasting. Um, and it, uh, it's really inter-team battles that were most interesting, if you go back further. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're joined by our race analyst, Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How's it going, Jeansy? It's going really good. Looking forward to talking about a race that was completely dominated by Lewis Hamilton with no controversy whatsoever. Brilliant. And also looking forward to finding out how your entry back into karting went and making his missed Apex debut. It's Nick Numbers Alexander. Hey, Spanners. Oh, you sound so sad. Is it? It's not that bad being a Ferrari fan, is it? We'll talk about it after the podcast. And you can talk to us on the live stream by going to YouTube and searching for Missed Apex Podcast. All right, let's talk about the race. Hey, Matt, tell us about qualifying, because basically, after Singapore, everyone had decided that the soul of Senna had drifted into Lewis Hamilton's car and body. He could do no wrong. So it was a little bit of a surprise to suddenly see Bottas pop up and get an unexpected pole. Well, 
historically, this has been amongst the best tracks for Botas. So if he was going to do something like this, this is exactly the place you would expect him to do it. But I think really, to, if we're going to talk about qualifying, we need to talk about the second qualifying session where with four of the five team with with three drivers, who do we have three drivers at that point? Yeah, three drivers facing penalties um, and they all sat out. And then we had another two drivers that sat out so that they could have position 11 and 12 and free yeah. tire choice. It was vastly underwhelming compared to what we normally get. And there was much, much complaining about it. So why didn't Lewis Hamilton win then, Matt? Was it just he fluffed it? Why didn't he win qualifying? Sector two. In essence, he was never able to get fully on top of sector two in the last qualifying session. Even in the first run, he lost a pretty fair amount of time to Botas, but he was able to reclaim almost all of it in sector three. And then on the second run, I mean, he was so far ahead in sector one, but then he he ran wide. I think it was out of turn four. And then that was it. It was done. It was a finished thing. And hats off because he was definitely going for it. And he was he was on his limit. And on that day, uh, you just have to hand it to Valtteri. I mean, if you gave him his best sector, maybe he would have finished up a half a tenth or something at best. But nah, this is clearly Botas track. So I had to skip through qualifying a little bit as I was on legit FM radio at the time of qualifying. Actually, it was a bit annoying to miss qualifying. But you got to drop that in there, haven't you? Um, so... The thing that I sort of caught from half getting information from you guys was that different cars and different drivers were very strong in different sectors. Can you explain and unpack a little bit of that for me, Matt? Um, yeah, I'll do the best I can. Uh, in essence, the Mercedes was pretty untouchable. But in in the twistier sections that had slower speeds, they were excelling which is the opposite of the trend that we had been seeing earlier in the year, where, where Ferrari seemed to have a real advantage, especially on the exits. That's gone away. And I can chuck a little thing in there. You know that little puff of Ferrari smoke that we've grown very, very accustomed to? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's them venting oil from the crankcase because they're not allowed to reuse it anymore. And it turns out that at this very particular race, Mercedes has copied more or less their solution to where to vent it. And this is why we saw the similar puff of smoke coming from Hamilton's engine at the start of the race. And that brings with it not great performance gains, gains, but some potential gains for the engine. Cool. Alex, Jeansy, tell me why is Bottas particularly good at this track and not every other track? I mean, yes, we'll give him his praises for being great in Sochi, but there's 19 other tracks. Why, why can't he recreate that Sochi feeling elsewhere? I think sometimes drivers just have preferences, but Bottas is a very smooth driver. And with a track that is very, very smooth and lots of long radius corners, it's something that must just suit his style in particular. Um, So I don't think there's anything that he's bad at elsewhere. I think this just suits his style more than anywhere else. Okay. All right, then. Look, we've got enough information out of that. Let's uh, let's go on and talk about the race itself. Matt, you know I rely on you to summarize where the race was won and lost. And then I think I think we, we're not gonna we're not gonna tease people. We're not gonna string it out any longer than we really need to. We are going to address the elephant in the room. We're gonna talk about that team orders, but not until we find out from you where the race was won and lost. Right. So to me, the critical point at the start had to be um 
Botas moving over in front of Hamilton and giving him the slipstream. Had he not done that, and and this had to be something that they talked about before the race, if you're asking me that question. Is it really that sensitive? Because they were side by side, uh, Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel, and basically Bottas was at first in front of Vettel, and as they turned, essentially Bottas had to move across to the point where he was in front of Hamilton. Is it really that kind of accurate and directional that slipstream effect wow yes yes it is see this is where i need to watch indie and stuff like that and then i would understand drafting a little bit better yeah and you know coming from a cycling background it's a similar thing when you ride in a pace line your profile is not very big but the moment you you get to the front or the moment you pull off and you're in the wind and unprotected you really can feel it it's a huge difference to be tucked up on somebody like that. And in fact, it was such a thing that Hamilton almost made it around Botas going into, um, I, I believe it was into turn two. Yeah. That he went to the outside and, and Vettel tried to get around him. But then on the exit of turn two, Lewis just ran him completely off the track. Jeansy. And if they were planning to do a switch from the very, very start, that's when it should have happened. Botas could have easily got out of that one. Oh, you're skipping ahead. You're skipping ahead. But I... I... My conviction here is that Bottas is not as willing a participant as all of that. Uh, it'll be interesting to, to explore what they were told before the race. But certainly, as Lewis Hamilton came alongside and nearly outbraked himself and only just about kept himself on track, my, my sudden instinct was, uh-oh, they're not going to deploy team orders here. They're going to play it old-school Mercedes, super, super straight, whiter than white, and not upset anyone. But Alex, I mean, if he had not kept all four wheels on the track on the exit of turn two we'd be thinking about him having to have just given that place back if he'd have gone wide off there he'd have had to go fully off the track and go through the diversion and he would have gone down to fourth or fifth i think through there because he would have had to have backed off because there's a sausage curb on the outside there as well so him keeping it on the track was instrumental to what was his fabulous victory you're pretty happy, aren't you? You're pretty happy at the Hamilton victory, Alex. No, I don't like Lewis. <laughs> yeah, I'm neutral. I, 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 I think yeah. Bottas deserved the win. <laughs> You're tuning into a British podcast. There's bound to be some some Hamilton fans. Uh, but Matt, continue, because that then put them line astern with Bottas, Hamilton and Vettel. So as they gridded up, actually, into that first stint, um, is, was there any indication that Bottas was holding them up? Was he going flat out? What was what was happening? What was unfolding? Uh, it was uh, very much Lewis hanging about a second and a half or so off of of Botas, and it was Vettel hanging, and then he he dropped a little bit of time, and and I remember writing like you just can't tell is he just saving or not, and then maybe a lap or so later he took a second out of the pair of them, and you're like oh, okay he was just cooling something off before he got right back on it. And this is all coming up to the critical pit stop window, even though they were on the ultra soft tires, uh, which they used in qualifying for the second session. Uh, they, the soft tire, those people who started on the soft tire were showing right out of the bag that it was the tire to be on for the day. Yeah. And by the way, I think we should announce that we have, we've lost Nick, which means that Matt's looking after the chat room again. Uh, but yeah, so we get to that pit stop window and it's it's disaster really i i did not understand a what ferrari were doing at the pit stops and b what hamilton's tactics were at the pit stop it almost seems like bottas just got the jump on everyone so did maybe just it was bottas and his team went 
this is the opportunity. This is now. This is where we pit and avoid any problems. Um, no, it was actually planned. It was actually planned. Um, he was in the lead. He got he got uh, he got rights over pit stop. He was pitted first, and they wanted Hamilton to go two laps so that there would be no fighting between the teammates when he came out because we'd already seen from Magnuson's pit stop that the undercut was going to be the way to go in yeah. terms of yeah. gaining time. Yeah. So <sighs> they gave Botas the undercut and they were giving him an extra lap. And Vettel was not thinking about Valtteri at all because he's not racing Valtteri for the championship. He's racing Lewis. So he very much wanted to undercut Lewis. And the following lap, that's exactly what he did. Now then, that's interesting because it, it just shows you how much of a sort of Lewis for the title angle I was watching this race at. Because I'm there thinking, we've seen what happened with Magnussen and the Force India. So the undercut is clearly stronger. Therefore, you need to get Lewis Hamilton in relatively quickly without leaving him out on uh, old tyres at the end of the race too long. But you think that Mercedes was still thinking about well, Bottas is the lead car, therefore he gets the strategy call. I honestly, I thought we were long past that. Nope, nope. They were, they were, it was still the normal rules of engagement going into the race, I think, with perhaps some special cases set aside for later in the race, depending upon what happened. In any event, what went wrong with Mercedes strategy is, oh, I know you can guess, was it to do with tires? No, it was <laughs> Williams, of course. Williams interfered with their strategy. Indeed, Sergei Sorotkin was loafing along in the middle sector. Lewis came upon him and lost a second, if not a little bit more, right there just getting around him because he came upon him at a rather inopportune time, track-wise. And by the time he pitted and was out the other side, Vettel was on a screaming outlap. Yeah. And and the combination of him losing time to Sirot and plus Vettel's superb driving in that instance put him out side by side and with the warmer tires, he was in front and he had that position was his and, and Lewis would have had to have worked to take it back. Let me ask Jeansy, because I know you've done indoor karting competitions where there's been karting, uh, karting, there's been pit stops or mandatory pit stops. So you're in a chain of cars, uh, carts, you're not able to do the pace you want to do necessarily you're finding it hard to overtake when you suddenly get uncorked and it's hammer time or jeansy time. How, how do you find approaching that change of mentality so that you can then attack from having been holding station? You go from in a train picking opportunities and looking for somewhere to overtake to thinking about qualifying. So you think about using every single inch of the track where before, if you're in a train of carts, you can't use every inch of the track because if you do, someone can sneak up the inside. When you've got that clear bit of track, all you want to do is now your apexes, now your throttle, now your brakes, and you're just thinking purely quality mode. You know, we used to talk years ago when Schumacher used to do it and they used to do, say yeah. quality, um, he used to go out and just do quality laps. Well, that's the same thing. It's out there doing a quality lap, turn it all up and go for it. Okay, but this all put Lewis Hamilton behind Sebastian Vettel. How how impressed were you with that battle and how Lewis did today? Because in Spa, he got beaten wheel to wheel twice by Vettel. I think Vettel did him after both restarts, so the original start and the safety car restart start, and not being a massive fan of Vettel's racing myself, it was kind of a big, you know, finger in the air, mark one up for Vettel. He must have been dead pleased with that. But I think for the second race and the second battle in a row after Monza, 
Vettel's lost out again. I could go into detail on Spa, but for <laughs> after the after the actual start, there wasn't anything Lewis could do, and for the restart, Lewis got too much speed and got caught out. So, but that's that's by the by. That's Spa. As far as today is concerned, um, I actually haven't got an issue with Seb's coming across. I think it was I think it was okay. Um, it was marginal, but it was okay. But for Lewis to keep it pinned around the outside of a Ferrari that would have been flat out and get into that right-hand corner without a lockup was sublime. And he didn't give him any room. Seb actually moved for when the for when the overtake came and Lewis was just like, I'm coming through, you ain't stopping me. I, it was I, it was absolutely sublime. I think this is as close as we're gonna get to a whose fault is it. So I've got to play the bumper. I know people love the bumpers. Whose fault is it? This is as close as we're gonna get. Um apart from this, it was a fairly clean race. Uh but Matt, I I have a slightly different take on when Lewis Hamilton was coming down what is that kind of nothing he turned one and and Vettel's movements. But from both races, it was very hard wheel-to-wheel racing and, and impressive from Lewis and Seb. Yeah, it was a great thing. Um, it, and it was his uh, lockup, I think, that, that opened the door for Lewis to get back on him going into turn one in the DRS. And also, let's not leave uh, Valtteri out of the equation because uh, if Sky reported it accurately, he was he was gone from um, Vettel's DRS. So that put him at an extra disadvantage going into this battle yeah so let's talk about the incident itself that is everywhere uh, because the team orders really masked those two things it, it it masked that mercedes fluffed the strategy i think brought him in too late and uh and put him back out behind uh, sebastian vettel did they really think they had enough pace to do an overcut where everybody else wasn't able to do that i, I think that just is a is a dropped a dropped ball but they've got away with it um and and it's masked the fact that there was this great battle between the two guys. But the, the point of contention on the video is, did Sebastian Vettel do anything untoward? Now, I know me and Gene Z, both relatively smart blokes. We respect each other. We've looked at the same video and come to different conclusions. When I look at the video, it looks to me as if Sebastian Vettel is coming over to the right to block him. There is a, sw- a slight twitch of his steering wheel to the left. And it's almost just a pause of his movement over to the right, although I would argue that to stop going to the right, you have to turn left. And it's that moment where you see Lewis Hamilton committing to going inside, uh, in between the wall and Sebastian Vettel. So I think Lewis Hamilton could reasonably have expected that that was the end of the movement over to the right, and even possibly sense that he'd gone back to block the outside. Jeansy, I know you see it differently. Well, the grand scheme of it is there was never any part of Lewis's car alongside Seb. Seb can do what he wants. Seb didn't. I think the rule about moving twice is actually more about moving to the right to cover than moving to the left to go back to your racing line. I think that's what the rule generally is. Um, But to be fair, when you saw Seb move across, you can't take small twitches. Tracks are bumpy, cars are traveling very, very fast, and you will twitch from left to right going down the straight. It doesn't have a great deal of effect mm. on the direction of where you're going. Um, however, Lewis, I'm not Lewis, Seb was generally continually to pull across. He didn't stop and then turn again and stop and turn again. He continued to gradually move over, and I think it was 
uh, it was hard, really, really hard, but mm. fair. I'd have, I've done it before and none of, no one gets in trouble for it. It's it was in- just at nearly 200 miles an hour. It's interesting. Obviously, we've got Matt here as a tiebreaker. We saw the same video. Uh, for me, there was a pause. Um, let's say it had been, a, if it had been a bigger movement to the left, and then gone back to the right. Obviously, we, we're in agreement that that would be kind of not on. Yeah, is that right, Alex? He's nodding there. Um, in this case, I know it's all tiny. And I think it was the right call not to do a penalty because it would have been a massive, massive call to penalise him for that. I think he went to move over, had half a mind to then go back and resume the racing line. As soon as he saw Hamilton react to the right, realised that he'd moved too early that that move to go back to the racing line was too early and he went and covered it off very, very strongly. Matt, what did you see? Well, I'm going to go with the what exactly. Uh, you could start with what do they mean by one move? Mm, okay. And you could, so, start, yeah. you could start with uh, given how far back Hamilton was when he initially drifted to the right, does that even count as a defensive move? Right, so that's so a fair point. I would, yeah. I would start there. First, got to prove that. Secondly, his movement was all in a singular direction. So if we take a larger view of, of what is meant by one move that was one move it was it was in a consistent direction Man. and hamilton had to expect him to be defending that way but more to the point if you look at the onboard from vettel i think this is really a case where vettel himself reported having a twitch um and and having to catch it and if you look at his hand motions that's really kind of what it looked like how convenient it's it's it, 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 it's indistinguishable <laughs> Uh, from from the view that we were shown mostly, which is from Hamilton's view and made it look far worse than what was. I mean, honestly, if you watch his steering wheel yeah. down that straight, you're like, what? Yeah, what do you I, was, like, I was I was like really this, looking and for then, it. Da, 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 and then it, oh, sorry, I'll put my hands up. It was like this and then da da da. And then and then the turn you, you're like. It was it was so minimal what he did, but when you look from Hamilton, it, it really does look like he was yeah. trying to just take him right into the wall. Yes, yeah, no, I agree, uh, Jeansy. The whole thing about twitching when it comes to these situations, you watch any driver, even driving on their own, watch their hands twitch, watch them twitch left, watch them twitch right. It's only when, as you've just said, Spanners, when you are actually really, really looking for <laughs> yeah, it, when... you want to find a twitch. A twitch doesn't make that much of a difference. Um, and it's I like, think it's like homeopathy, though, Alex. You have to want to believe, and if you want to believe then that's enough. Uh, and that was enough for me watching the video frame by frame. Look, there's a micro movement over to the left. Uh, go on, Alex. But I think, as I, as I was trying to say, if Lewis had done that, I actually think he'd have been praised for incredible defending. Mm. And if Max had done it, everyone would be paying <laughs> for a good blood. point. It's a good point. I think it was really good defending because what do you want him to do fighting against another four-time world champion to be the only driver on the grid next season with five titles? You want Sebastian Vettel showing that fight. Thank goodness you've got Sebastian Vettel there showing that fight. By the way, please bear in mind and make notes, this hurts me not slamming Seb. So that's, that just shows my we, side we, of it. We Not feel completely ham Yeah, we feel your pain. I mean, there was a Ferrari fan. We have to say there was a Ferrari fan on the original lineup, but his, his computer has failed him. Uh, and that you can do all the conspiracy theories in the world that Spanners wanted to get rid of Nick. And, uh, and I, I think that's justified. But yeah, like we said, um, Hamilton was able to pull off a great move into turn four, but a lot of that was because Seb had compromised his entry into turn two by doing that robust defence. Hamilton very quickly then went out wide onto that entry and that's what gave him that great run into turn three. So, I mean, this is really, this is some historically good F1 racing that we just saw today. 
Good. Nods of approval from Jeansy, and he's a real racy guy, so he knows. Uh, where should we go? Team orders, I guess. Matt, let's talk about team orders. I'm going to lead the way on this. All right. So I just want to separate out a couple of things because there has been massive outrage on the internet about these team orders. A lot of people are really upset and really vocally upset. If you look at all the tweets that Mercedes have put out, there's loads of comments underneath it like, oh, you've spoiled the sport. You've ruined it. I I, I don't want to watch F1 anymore. I don't know whether our audience is representative of F1 fans or not. But before the show, we said, okay, tell me, fine or terrible? What what were these team orders, fine or terrible? And it was like, there was about two people who said terrible and there was tens and tens of people who said it was fine. And I think if you increase that to the sentiment of, I don't like it, but it's fine. I think that increases a little bit more. But I just want to separate out two bits of the outrage because there are people who genuinely feel terrible for Bottas and don't want to see team orders and sit there and think, this ruins the integrity of the sport. But Jeansy, it's not unfair to say, is it, that there's a lot of people who just want to detract from Lewis Hamilton's title hopes. Even if he's 100 points ahead at the end of the season, they'll go, yeah, but Bottas gifted it to him in Russia. Oh, yeah, we'll always get that kind of stuff on it as well. So um, it was inevitable. I I don't actually see how anyone can think anything else was going to happen. Lewis was quickest through all the way through practice, all the way up into Q3. And to be fair, made his first mistakes of the season and screwed up Q... He screwed, screwed up Q3. Three. Yeah. Um, on both of his runs, just didn't get the most out of it. He should have been on pole and he should have disappeared off into the distance, but he made it difficult for himself and the team had to manufacture a way back for him to the top. For Valtteri or anybody else to not think that was going to happen, despite what they were told, is just naive. It is naive, isn't it, Trumpets? What do you what do you think they told Bottas before the race? Because he's starting on pole, listening to him on the interviews, he's optimistic of a win, but he's got to be suspicious that at some point they're going to want Lewis to go past. Yeah, it, based on his reaction afterwards, I think they pretty much said something along the lines of, we won't implement team orders unless we find it to be absolutely necessary and will only interfere with the final result if if that's really what it comes down to and or or, or some such you know they quality we might do such a thing because of the championship because winning both is very important to us so you need to understand that but depending upon how things work out our, our initial plan is to not interfere also you got to remember 50 points is really important it's two race wins. Yes. And that is so, so important because Merck for, for Lewis haven't taken any extra engines because I still think his engine that went in Austria was an engine that was in the pool. So Merck could be anticipating potential uh, engines that need to be changed and potential grid drops for Lewis. So it's a case of we need this just in case. 50, point, 50 points with five races left. That's just so crucial. I, it's a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned. No matter who was leading that championship, if it was, in, if it was yeah. the other way around, it should have been that way. We can do the championship maths a little bit later, and we will. I think, I think Matt, though, the way it was done was... Could we say it was clumsy? Because you've set the scene where they've maybe told Bottas there will only be certain situations in which we'll do it. Then suddenly, they find themselves with Bottas ahead of Hamilton... And they really do want to change it because from the maths, you can't deny the maths. The maths make sense. 
to win the World Driver Championship, 50-point lead is better than a 43-point lead. This is where the politics comes into it. They have to come on the radio and they go, yeah, so, Valtteri, about, about, about the positions, we're going to have to swap them because of, well, because of reasons, Valtteri. There's, there's reasons we've got to swap it. So, so if you could just go ahead and do that, that'd be great. It was really, 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 really annoying to me that they went with, oh, poor Lewis. He has these tiny blisters on his tire and we need to protect him from the evil Seb monster. Could you please <laughs> let him go in front of you? It just like, oh, mm. oh, I mean, come on, just, I'm sorry. I hate to use gender up oh, right. and say, Valtteri, no, no. if you're not by Verstappen in a lap and a half, we're going to put Hamilton in front of you to protect him from Vettel and be done with it. And that would, that would have been that. And what are you going to say at that point? It makes sense. And if you're Toto Wolf, you don't want to go to Dieter Zetsch at, at the end of the season and say, well, yeah, it turns out he lost by seven points because we wanted to let Valtteri get a win because we felt sorry for him. He'd had such a miserable second half of the season. That That's not your job at that point. So they had a job to do, and he knew it. I, they just did it in a in a poor way. I have a question for Matt. Do you think that Mercedes were put into a slightly more difficult position today because they didn't expect Ferrari to be so close? Possibly, yes. Uh, Ferrari's race pace was closer to their pace than they may have anticipated uh, looking at FP3. But we also know they did a lot of setup work and they saw the improvement to quality. So it should have definitely been on their radar. And then when it came to the end of the race, that was, I mean, sad in a way because Bottas comes on the radio and goes, so are we, uh, you know, about the blistering thing that we talked about a while back? Well, obviously I, I did that. I, I did that. We protected Lewis and it seems pretty safe now. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to swap back, you know, and they come back on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. About that. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't think we're going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid we're going to have to ask you to, uh, to, to move to the basement. We're going to, we're going to need that stapler back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that is the moment that you realized that I don't think it had been communicated to Valtteri very well at all. If they, what, what could be the worst that could happen if they said to him, look, Valtteri, whatever happens, if we can swap, we will, because we are thinking about, we, 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 it doesn't make a difference to the constructors, but it does make a difference to the world championship drivers title. And we, we want the silver guys celebrating at the end, not the red guys. What's the worst that could have happened? It would have looked much better for them, in my opinion. Uh, the chat room would like to point out that they think perhaps Verstappen being in front for so long was decidedly not part of Mercedes' original plan. Yeah. And I know we're going to get to his, uh, his his amazing start a little bit later in the show. But I think I think that that might have been the uh, the monkey wrench in their plan, so to speak, that caused all this to happen as well. And, and it's a good point by them. Yeah, but very messy. And it's just it's a shame that it really dampened the atmosphere afterwards because it, it feels like these team orders are just a a feature of modern f1 we saw uh, in germany Kimi raikkonen uh, yield to to seb i mean to be honest like, i've seen a lot of complaints from ferrari fans and if you are a fan of a team that literally opened up a seal on a gearbox in 2012 just so that your lead driver could gain one grid position Perhaps you just need to dial down the outrage just a tiny bit. But Jamesy, this isn't me just being fully hamfosy. 
I have been on the record all season saying I like team orders. I like teams working together to manipulate results and fight on a team level. It's a team sport. That's that's the cut and shut of the whole thing anyway. It's a team sport. To be fair, for Bottas, he needs to bank this one for when they try and drop him for Ocon next year. <laughs> he needs to try and bank as many um, of these being a team player and helping out, whether, he's, whether it's in his contract or not, the de facto number one and not going to cause problems because um, however much I like Ocon, I could imagine his pace might cause a problem if and when he ends up at Mercedes. Yeah. Okay. So I think we're pretty much, I think we're to the end. Uh, have we covered everything on the team orders, Matt? Any more outrage to be had? No, it's just really the method they affected it and how they prepared uh, Valtteri for it in the pre-race briefing seemed to have been the places where it went sideways. But no, they're trying to win a championship. They're going to do what they have to do to win the championship. And if you can add two plus two and get something that resembles four, it's kind of hard to argue with what they did. There is a lot of people feeling sorry for Bottas as well because he's had this sort of win taken away from him. I think there's just a bit of realism has to kick in. So had he been stronger in the early part of the season, he wouldn't necessarily be in this straight up number two position. Let's let's be honest, on merit, Jeansy. Hamilton's had the better season. Bottas has had some bad luck. I don't think you could argue that Bottas has had so much bad luck that he would be the title contender instead of Lewis. There is five races to go and he's over 100 points behind before this result. Yeah. What I, I don't, I can't fathom what anybody else would think to expect other than this result. At least this wasn't... If this was Sochi last year, which would have been the fourth or fifth race of the season, and they pulled team orders, I'd get the outrage. Like Austria in... Whenever it was when Barrichello slowed down on the last lap. That was ridiculous. It was four or five races into the season. It wasn't necessary, especially considering how dominant that car was that year. This is... There is two people left in this title fight, and... The person who's on his team needs to get more points than the guy in the red car. That's the fact and the end of it. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Well, I'm going to catch up with Jeansy for a second, and then I'm going to test his knowledge. 
of this race to see how much attention he was paying. Firstly, Jeansy, you are sitting a little easier in that chair now. There's a lot more space for you because you've dropped a bit of karting weight uh, so that you could get back in action in a little bit of competitive karting. How did all that go? Yeah, it was great fun. Um, yeah, I've dropped since July. I've dropped just over two stone. Nice. Um, and I feel great. So forget karting and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I just feel good. My clothes fit better and I haven't got to go buy a new go out and buy new clothes. That helps. That helps with the karting budget. It does. Uh, yeah, so last... Last weekend, I went to Cuffcart Sport in uh, and went to PFI in Lincolnshire. Got driven up by Ryan Sedgwick, who's a listener of ours, and it took me up in his very, very nice Porsche. Um, and we had some great fun driving down some roads and him driving far too fast for my liking. Um, <laughs> Have you ever driven with Bradley Philpot on a country road? Yes, many. That's I've quite driven with him around the Nürburgring. <laughs> I, uh, I, he was designated driver one time and I'd had a few pints, so I was egging him on. And then I was frightened. Uh, you've done this as well, Matt, haven't you, on the country roads? Yes, if you ever see, occasionally I will tweet him things that remind me of our drives on country roads. Like rocket uh, launches. I, I tag him. <laughs> He's a liability on the road. He's a liability on the road. But anyway, I'm more safe on the road than he is. How did, yeah, how did, so, you, go? did, anyway, you, did you feel sharp? Did you feel competitive? There was a little bit of rust. Um, my first race didn't quite go to plan because the cart I had was dreadful and I elected to switch carts. So I started the race at the back in a cold cart. Great excuse. Quite Great far excuse back. that, yeah. yeah. Dropped quite far back, but then got back to ahead of my position. So I had a good race, but eventually once the cart warmed up. And then for the rest of for the rest of the two races, I was fighting near the front, which to be honest, in my previous heavy state, <laughs> I if I got to fight at the front, it was because I had a particularly good race, but it wasn't just where I should be. Um it just felt really, really nice to be back and really, really going for it. Um to be fair, the, the the guy the race the race the race I didn't win where I came second. The guy was just quicker than me, so I can't argue with that. That's how race cars work. If they're quicker than you, they'll be quicker than you. But it's good to see you back, and your energy is different when you've done a little bit of competitive racing. So that's good. Uh, let's test you on your knowledge of this race. Who led the most laps, Jeansy? Mr. Max Verstappen. Unbelievably, from P19, uh, that that Red Bull. That flew up the grid. And I know Daniel Ricciardo had some problems that we'll, we'll talk about later. But at the time, when we didn't know about that, it just looked like he was having this meteoric launch through the Sochi pack. Yeah, he was past Danny, Danny Rick before the second phase of the actual start, to be fair. So Danny Rick got a bad start anyway. And then Dan got, Dan got some damage. And that, put, that curtailed his race, among other things, of Red Bull not giving him all the toys because he's leaving to go to the enemy. Um, Max was brilliant. <laughs> Um, there were some great moves. Yes, we're talking about a far more superior car against lower cars, but with a fresh new engine, he really went for it. Um, and he talked his way through his 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 laps. And I think Max a year ago wouldn't have made it through that. Max uh, Max Max a year ago would have had a massive crash today. Uh, I think he's matured a bit because it yeah. is his twenty first birthday today. So happy birthday! He Max. can drive a truck now, and he. Yeah, and he ca- and he capped it off with um, a really really good performance. Sensible, made clean moves, didn't do anything stupid. It was actually nice to see because I was expecting fireworks. But you're a big fan of Max, but also a massive critic. So the early part of the season was emotional, but we have seen him stretch his legs against Daniel Ricciardo over the course of the mid season. Yeah, I think. Um, I think Dan's got his head down a little bit, but no, I'm a big fan of Max. You know, he's, I like, 
I like the new young talent like him and like Leclerc and I will get to Leclerc in a minute but it's really nice to see the development of Max it would have been really really easy for him to have a Grosjean and crash into everything and not recover and I think Max has really really recovered I think he's learned from his errors at the beginning of the season um, and I think we're only going to see him stronger and stronger and if that Honda is as good as Ted says it is, which is they seem to think they've got an extra half a second out of this new engine upgrade. Yeah. I think if if that Honda can be as good as Ron Dennis said it would be, um, we're going to have a hell of a season next year. Well, let's ask Matt, because you've been dying to talk about this new Honda upgrade. Uh, obviously, the Toro Rosso's, they seem, to me, that looked like one of those um, those rear brake failures that happened quite a lot in 2014 where the, when the two Toro Rosso spun out it looked a lot like the engine is not quite managing the rear brakes properly and all of a sudden it, you get a tank slapper uh, but is that Honda engine looking good are we going to see Red Bull right right up at the front with Max Verstappen next season yes well you'll be glad to know that Gasly actually confirmed that it was a front brake failure so you were definitely in the ballpark with that one um so ex- exactly the opposite wrong okay good good uh, so I, my, my one source got back to me about that. Um, I'm, I'm here for my looks, not not for yes. my break-by-wire knowledge. Well, if you go back and look at Friday's practice, and you look at how Pierre Gasly did, particularly in the second practice, you got a preview of what they think that Honda engine is going to be able to do. And it should promote them to a Sauber-Leclerc-ish position, uh, just based on what, what we saw then. They made the decision to not run it here. Because they want to do a little more fine-tuning with the chassis. Uh, But I think we're all very much imagining that we're going to see it in uh, Suzuka uh, next week. Okay, so so by Suzuka, Matt, we're going to see Toro Rosso right up the front with the best of the rest, dicing with Magnussen and Leclerc. Well, yes, with Magnussen and Leclerc. We're not going to see them dicing with Ferrari or Mercedes because they don't have the uh, chassis to go along with it. But... If Honda can continue this rate of development, yeah, 2019 is going to be <laughs> the most exciting thing. I think we saw since, um, when was the last time? It was uh, when Alonso lost it because he got stuck behind Petrov, where we had three people who could technically yeah. win going into the last race. Oh, yeah. We could cross our fingers and hopefully get something like that. So a three-way fight between, a f- a three-way fight between Hamilton, Verstappen and Leclerc next season. Wow, that's going to be something to really look forward to. No, you didn't mishear me. I was being deliberately cheeky, but it's going to be fascinating. 2019, I'm already excited for 2019. Uh, But for Sochi 2018, we were talking about Verstappen. What was going on? How come Bottas couldn't catch up to Max Verstappen? How come Max Verstappen, with a billion-year-old tyres, was keeping ahead of those Mercedes and Ferraris? Why did he look so strong? And then when he finally pitted, did nothing. Oh, my friend, you have just asked the wrong question because there is exactly one answer for it, <laughs> and that is tires. Tell me. I'll have a little nap. You tell me what happened. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, it, there's not much to say. You remember back at the beginning of the show, I said the people who started on the soft showed right off the bat that it was the race tire to be on. Ah, uh, okay. So he started on the soft tires, and that explains why he was out there forever, still with entirely reasonable pace doesn't explain why botas couldn't get past him but i would go with that the the particular strengths of the red bull at the circuit arrow wise um made it made it difficult for them to get close enough 
to take advantage on the longer straights. And that and possibly Renault or, or Red Bull smarter with their energy management. And then you asked about why he could do nothing. Well, simple. We heard him talking about it. When they put those ultra soft tires on, it takes a little time to warm up. He went very hard on them. They grained. And then that was that. He, he took about a second out on the first lap. Second lap, Kimmy was faster. Plus, I think he had pace in hand. And after that, he just sort of sat back and said, oh, well, it was a nice thought. What I would have loved to have seen, the hypersofts. Could part of the reason they didn't want to close in on Max was because if they started getting involved in some sort of fight, that it could leave them open to attack from Seb, who might not have been damaging his tyres quite as much as Lewis or Valtteri. All right, then. Let's move on a little bit. Matt, tell me about Formula B. Formula 1.5. Formula... This can't be two, can it? I like it. Let's have Formula 1, Formula B, and then Formula 2. That Formula B race that Verstappen so effortlessly cut his way through was quite fascinating at the beginning. You had both horses there with uh, the the one good Sauber, and then you had uh, the Force Indias in there as well. And before the race, there was, I think it was 14 to 1 on Grosjean to win that best of the rest battle. And that phrase, best of the rest, I've heard that more this season than any other season. Starting to get a little bit more comfortable with the fact that there is this second distinct category, but we need to focus on it more. And the TV directors did do that. We got a good sight of that battle. As the top four settled down, they correctly focused in on this battle. And Magnussen was leading that chain for for quite a bit of that uh, before Leclerc pulled off that great move and then kind of ran away with it. It was actually at the first couple of laps that he got by yeah yeah, oh, yeah. Well, eventually eventually in the yeah. in the in the context of that early battle he didn't just right. get straight by him at the start no no there was a there was a fight before yeah. he got around him and it was quite a good move to do it and then magnuson actually kicked off the pit stop sequence and that's where we learned that the undercut was going to be the way to go but what was fascinating about it was leclerc literally once he was by magnuson just sailed off into the distance i mean like far far off into the distance like eight nine ten seconds up the road even after the pit stops and it was magnuson magnuson the unpassable Yes. Reminding me of Gandalf on the bridge with that staff. No one could get round him. I mean, first we had Ocon doing everything to get to get by him. And that's what led to his first pit stop. But again, you you then had Hulkenberg up the road going the alternate strategy with his tires. And they were telling him, if you don't get by in three laps, Mm -hmm. Hulkenberg's going to have us. He's going to have us for dinner because he's going to be out ahead of us. And first Ocon went. Nothing, nothing doing. And then they're like, move out of the way. Let your more experienced teammate try. And still no one could get by him. And then in, and you're looking at his lap times. You're like, he's like a second a lap slower than Leclerc. He's slower than Hulkenberg. He's losing all this time, losing all this time. And then he goes, and then it turns out they just didn't put enough fuel in his car. And he was just having to go slow. (laughs) No, that can't be right. He was fuel saving. He was fuel saving because then suddenly you're looking at his times and he's down to like the 139s. Suddenly he's going is the, about the moment that Hulkenberg would have exited his exited him from his pit window. Wait, wait, wait. So hang on. By accident, they accidentally didn't put enough fuel in. Well, no, I don't think they did it by accident. I think they calculated how much fuel they thought they needed. And then when they got into the actual racing bit, it turned uh, out that they needed so to they, put they more. So they miscalculated. See, that that has just elevated, for me, Magnussen up to driver of the race. Because I know he's not popular with the other drivers. And Otmar Schnaufer, uh, is that his name? Come on, help me out. Uh, Otmar, Otmar. Otmar Safnau. There we go. Otmar. Old Otty. 
Otty. That we'll revert to the the British school of uh, of nickname. You just shorten it and then add a Y. Jeansy, Otty, Spanny. No, it doesn't work. It's broken down. Uh, by the way, best nickname I ever <laughs> we ever had was a guy in a workshop when when he came in for his coffee break. He would sit there and he would just kind of just sit there quietly reflecting, and then every now and then he'd look up to see what's going on before then going back down. We used to call him Screensaver. Best best nickname ever. Loved that. Uh, but anyway, what, what was my point here? Yeah. So like, Otmar was saying, yes, Magnussen, it's, he's true to form. He's, uh, he's, he's a, you know, like he's a terrible, robust driver. But to be honest, that is what you're supposed to do. And as much as we defended Vettel's robust driving in defence, we have to also defend Magnussen when he defends like that. We want drivers driving like that. This is the pinnacle of motorsport. Jeansy, you can't disapprove of what Magnussen's doing. He is a, just a mental, brilliant racer. Yeah, he really summoned his inner Yano Trulli today um, by 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 giving himself the Magnuson train. Um, I still think him shoving Sainz off the track was a little bit naughty, but <laughs> it was just about all right. Um, but no, defense, being able to defend well is such a good skill and such a difficult skill to learn. Um, so anyone who can do it and keep the likes of Ocon and Perez behind them for as long as he did, Hats off to him. Well done, especially if he was fuel saving. Fuel saving, because I didn't know that. Jeansy, how do you feel about the Force India battle? Because they have been completely, completely neutered. Uh, Otmar, before the race, he was asked, how, "How do you spend your time in the ninety minutes before the race?" He said, "Mostly just telling my drivers not to crash into each other." So it's clearly been an issue. They didn't just awkwardly and passive aggressively not talk about it after singapore they obviously did talk about it quite a lot and it was very obvious that it was please sir may i can i can i do this please can i dad those two have been sat on the naughty step for the last two weeks (laughs) um yeah to be fair otmar's up there as, as one of my candidates for thing of the weekend i think he was brilliant because they did they literally just managed their drivers and you got perez going i think i can go faster please let me have a go please please it's like okay, you you can go now. You 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 can have a go. <laughs> right now, give it back. Is Sochi a um, bit street circuity? It feels a bit street circuity, but I can't explain why. Because I think I thought part of it is. Oh well, I don't that, think well, it's completely. It. I don't think it's completely a race circuit. Um, I think part of it is, but no, it's because it's got lots of high walls. That's it. Really. Maybe that's what makes it look like it, but a hard place. A hard place. It's a bit to like Valencia. Yeah, it's a, it's. I don't like any track yeah valencia yeah well valencia was a street circuit wasn't it it still is but i think i don't like any track where you can choose to go slowly so any track like monaco singapore where you can think well i will go slowly in order to choose when i do my pit stop or to to save fuel or to to manage a pit window and the people behind me will be fouled by that I, i don't think it's unreasonable to ask the sport to be in a place where if you choose to go slowly, somebody can come along and just mug you, Matt. Yeah, you wouldn't be wrong about that, but you're never going to have that. There's always going to be places on the circuit where you can go slower and places and ways to do that. It's the defending is as much a part of racing as attacking is. And the complete driver, and and we've seen various examples of it, can do both. A lot of times drivers tend to be better at one than the other. But the chat room brings up uh, the Renault situation. Okay. And I just wanted to answer them real quickly that number one driver signs uh, was hit Sorotkin or Sorotkin hit him and did a fairly amount 
a fairly large amount of aero damage to his car in the first lap. So that was his race over. And Hulkenberg was, that's right, fuel saving. And he wound up having to save fuel after he switched on to the tires where he was supposed to be going faster and attacking and well, that usually never works out very well for people. Okay, I think we're going to have to get towards the podium. But before we do, let's do some championship maths and, and where we think it's going. I think a lot of people said in Singapore, if if he doesn't, um, if Vettel doesn't win in Singapore, it's championship over. Well, he didn't win in Singapore. It didn't feel like it was over to me. Uh, it didn't feel like a big enough lead to start celebrating. Is 50 points, Matt, with 125 left, is that enough? Lewis Hamilton is now in the position where he can, and this is all based on my dodgy maths, where he can following, follow him home for four races in a row into second place and still have a lead of 22 points when they go into Abu Dhabi. Is it enough? If motorsport is a linear function, then yes. Yes, it is. But we have to consider the fact that reliability can play a part. And we have to consider the fact that crashes happen. We have to consider the fact that occasionally cars get sent out with wheels not fully attached. So if you're Mercedes, this is a very nice safety cushion. But it could all it takes is, is, is a five-pound clip going wrong. And suddenly, yep. that's a 25-point lead. The gap wasn't quite as big, but back in 2012, Lewis eventually had the best car on the grid, was sticking it on pole, leading races, and he should have won that championship. Why didn't he? Because of because of reliability. I as a as a Hamilton fan, I don't know if this show knows that, but I'm a Hamilton fan (laughs) Um, as a Hamilton fan. I can't ever relax until it is mathematically possible, mathematically done there is still a chance. And if Seb has any form of fight in him, that is exactly the way he would think. If he's not thinking that, which he is, because it's in a commentary, because he mentioned it before. But, you know, he's not, he might be mentally done, but he's not showing it. Well, we saw last year in Mexico, I mean, Lewis Hamilton wrapped up the title in Mexico. Vettel was aggressive to the point where I really don't think that contact was if it was accidental he definitely had in his mindset that if there's contact it can only benefit him in given that there's three races to go and he's more or less lost the title and he was then do or die it was mathematically possible for him to win the title everyone else was thinking it's a matter of time Sebastian Vettel himself had not given up so let's look at the maths there's 125 points left on offer and the gap is 50. So if Sebastian Vettel DNFs in the next race, that means that there's 100 points on the table. And if Lewis Hamilton wins, that would be 75 points. So, uh, yeah, I mean, conceivably, if everything goes terribly wrong for Vettel and amazingly well for Hamilton, it's wrapped up in the next two races. It's possible, Matt. Yeah, it's possible. If Vettel doesn't finish and Hamilton wins both races, yeah. it is possible. There we go. That's that's a much more succinct way of putting my terrible maths. Years of practice. <laughs> okay, then. All right. So, uh, any other business? Oh, loads of things happened in this race, but it's, it's understandable that we focused on the front guys. Uh, Haas was on fire, Matt. Haas was absolutely on fire. Yeah, they had a garage fire. Their tires burned up. They had to get two new sets of tires from Magnuson. They had to get approval. There was many forms to be filled out. Jeansy? Oh, Charles Leclerc. That, that move was fabulous. Because we can remember um, all the top boys are fully flat 
every single lap through that corner. Fully loaded with fuel, the other cars aren't. And you're going... It was K-Mag you overtook, wasn't it? Around the outside, around there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wouldn't want to go around the outside of K-Mag. That's a little bit <laughs> nope. of a risk. So, you know, K-Mag yeah. would have pushed him very, very hard. Stunning move. He That boy is on form. And if I was Seb, I would be more worried about Leclerc next season than I am about finishing this season. I'll put it this way. I was going to do a segment. We haven't done it. We can probably do it after the next race of, of how Ferrari have blown the potential of this championship. And a large chunk of it is just down to, I don't think Sebastian Vettel is, is the guy. He's not the guy that you want there fighting for your Ferrari title. And I don't think Leclerc has to be super duper amazing to come in and beat Vettel. I'm, I'm not sure why I got mocked when I said that Leclerc was going to come in and beat Vettel in the first season. Cause I, I, if he doesn't, he's not the driver that everyone's saying he is. If he's half the driver people are predicting he is, Matt, then he's going to come in and just beat Vettel. I invite you to consider Hamilton's first year performance at Mercedes, uh, Botas' first to second year performance at Mercedes. Your first year in a new team is always challenging because the car has been developed to somebody else's tastes over the previous season. So you're always at a disadvantage that first season. And although he's quite, quite talented, he is still fairly young to Formula One. He doesn't have the same breadth of experience, having been through different uh, regulatory eras, that some of the other drivers who are making these moves will have had. And that puts him at a disadvantage. I would not be surprised to see him struggle next to Vettel and have a few shining moments in the second half of the season that's when we're really going to get a taste of his potential against uh, Sebastian. I concur with Matt on that one. I think we'll see Seb have the upper hand over the first half of the season, and I think we'll see Leclerc come good. However, I'm pretty certain Danny Rick had the measure of Seb from the second he got in that car. So things could come, and I see Leclerc as a hotter talent than I did Danny Rick. Yeah, I, w- I would I would agree with you. I think I think Ricciardo totally had him because he wasn't bothered the same way Weber was bothered with the way that car was being driven. And let's remind ourselves, it was a very peculiar and special era where Vettel dominated. The, with ultimately, the exhaust-blown diffuser really helping him out with the way the car pointed. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, Why well, was Kimi this weekend? Uh, was he even in? Was he even in the race? No, I don't think so. Didn't he take a... He's at Sauber now, isn't he? But it's really funny. The second he's got a contract and he's gone somewhere else, he has a completely and utterly nondescript weekend. Wasn't anywhere near in qualifying. And I don't actually think I saw him at all during the race. All right, look, I wasn't going to talk about how Ferrari have blown this, Matt, but that is one of the factors. Frankly, their drive lineup isn't good enough. Kimi Raikkonen isn't doing... And isn't putting himself in the opportunity to do what Bottas did today. So if I was a Ferrari fan, I'd be feeling a little bit bitter about what's going on. Because I know that Seb's number two, Seb's wingman, isn't able to do that for him. And ultimately, I don't think Sebastian Vettel is at the level of Lewis Hamilton as well. So if you were a Ferrari fan, this would be a very, very frustrating season. Because it's there. That's as close as you've been for a decade. But you just don't have the overall quality of driver. All right. I still want to make this point. I'm not going to interrupt you to talk about the aero efficiency of Sauber versus Haas. And I am going to point out, we remember from our qualifying Vettel trying to get out and getting stuck in the pit lane 
or was it FP3? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. He was trying to get one more lap in, and then he hit the red light, and he had to push the car back, and it was all very embarrassing for Ferrari. Well, guess what? The same thing happened to Raikkonen. They're like, you're going to go. He's like, we don't have time to go, go, go. Stop, stop, stop. Wait, wait, wait. Go back, go back. And he was saying some very funny things on this video the whole time. He's like, what? Wait, this is a total mess. I'm leaving out some important words there. <laughs> In our quest to blame everything on the drivers, I'm just going to say that Ferrari, the team, might be letting them down more than a little bit, too, at this point. So they have tried very yeah. hard. And caveat, they did lose their very important leader in Marchionne unexpectedly. And I think that's cast them adrift at a critical part of the season and not helped them at all. But in a lot of tiny little ways, Mercedes and Red Bull are out teaming them right now, operationally. All right. Before we go to the podium, Matt, Monza, Hamilton, fastest driver car combination. Singapore, Lewis Hamilton, fastest driver car combination. Sochi, Bottas on pole by 0.6 seconds to the nearest Ferrari. I will ask you again, once more, my friend, this season-long argument, who has the fastest car? Well, if we're looking at today's results, then obviously Mercedes <laughs> does. But the car Mercedes has today is not the car that they had a month ago. Yeah, or all two right. Ago. I'll give you that. Yeah, Ferrari did slightly overtake them for two races in the summer. So yeah, I'll concede that point whilst taking the bigger and larger victory of the much larger point and being correct and playing music that means that you can't come back in. Your fade is turned down. There's no point arguing. It's the podium. It's really not a good strategy. It's not like Matt's never going to talk again on the podcast. Go on then, fine, make your point, and then we'll do the awards. Well, I, you know the point. I'll make the point now that I've been making uh, ever since Ferrari, because they had a huge development package come on all at once. Mercedes did this at Spa. They struggled at Spa. They looked terrible. In fact, you were like, oh my goodness, this yeah. is really not what I expected. Then they showed up at Monza, and then they were, they were killing it. There's only a week uh, between these two races. But if we're going to evaluate Ferrari's development package in full, I think we really need to give it a race or two for them to be able to optimize it. And clearly, we know from their work on the rear suspension, they didn't have it all right going into this weekend, and that put them on the back foot. But point to Mercedes, tactically, they phased in their developments in smaller bits that were more manageable. And that may, again, this is this team operational concept thing that just may have worked in their favor over the course of the whole season. This is the long engineering battle. We're in the final phase of it now, and it's starting to look like Mercedes, by being patient and not panicking, might ultimately have gained the upper hand. Merck fastest. Got it. That's the TLDR. Uh, okay, chat room, tell me who is your <laughs> thing of the weekend. Well, I ask our race analyst, Alex Jeansy Van Jean, who is your thing of the weekend, Jeansy, this weekend? It's got to be that fabulous move that Lewis did on Valtteri Bottas for the for the lead of the race. It was just beautiful. No, um, no, I'm giving it to Leclerc. That that move that Leclerc put on on K Mag was just sublime. I really really enjoyed it. It was fantastic, and just Leclerc in general. To be fair, good uh, Matt. Who's your thing of the weekend? Ooh, this is a very tough one, and of course I've not thought about it at all because I've been busy writing other features that we have skipped yes yes but, i know we haven't skipped them we've just deliberately on accident delayed them ah fair enough it wasn't in the notes so i was doing my i'm a confusable Fine. man i forgot it i forgot I've, is that no, what you, no, you want me to, is that what you want me to say you want me to sit here and say i forgot is that what you want this is the worst internet podcast marriage ever nope nope i don't need you to say i forgot 
well, I do just so I understand why the notes don't match what's happening in reality, because that's who I am. But aside from that, now my thing of the weekend, I've thought about this very, very clearly. And I think my thing of the weekend is Vettel giving the camera a big smile in the cool down <laughs> room, then chucking a towel over the top of it because, oh my goodness, that was brilliant and fun. Yeah, that's not bad at all. I think I'm going to give it to Magnussen because uh, now finding out that he didn't have enough fuel, uh, he managed to hold off those two Force Indias all race long, managed to punt signs off when it needed punting. Sometimes you just need to punt signs off. That is that is a legitimate F1 tactic. Uh, but why don't we find out from Matt, if you listen to no other point of the show, just listen to his summary and his race in 60 seconds. Lights out! Vettel on Hamilton, side by side! Hamilton gets Vettel, Botas leads, contacts, Ratkin signs, Leclerc gets Magnussen, Verstappen gets everyone, P11. Ricardo hits debris, damage front wing, Hartley spins, Verstappen P8, Hartley spins again apparently. Verstappen P5, Ocon on Magnussen, Magnussen pits, Ocon pits, Ocon out, Magnussen bye! Botas pits, Vettel pits, Hamilton traffic, Hamilton pits, Vettel gets Hamilton, Vettel locks up, Hamilton gets... Vettel, Raikkonen pits, Verstappen leads. Botas catches Verstappen, Ham catches Botas, Vettel catches Hamilton. Team order, Hamilton Botas swap. Ocon on Magnussen, Ocon can't pass. Team order, Ocon Perez swap. Perez can't pass, Ocon Perez swap again. Hamilton on Vettel, Verstappen defends. Verstappen pits, Hamilton leads. Verstappen can't catch Raikkonen. Vettel can't pass, Botas checkers. We'll go P6. Botas has an emotion. Oh no, you missed the apex. Yeah, I forgot about that bit. I forgot that Botas showed an emotion. It was really harsh as well because he looked so happy on the Saturday and then genuinely just destroyed after the race. But by the time the press conference came around, he was fully on board, clearly still upset, but he was fully, this is what the team needs, this was best for the team, I understand what is happening, it just sucks for me. That was correct, and he has he has conducted himself fantastically well in this second half of the season when, he, when he's seen that his championship uh, challenge has kind of dwindled away. He does deserve respect for that, but he is taking a massive kick in in social media. Like, his reputation is taking a kick in. Jeansy, is there any way back for Botas in 2019? I've just said it like Matt, haven't I? Botas. Yes. Is there, is there any way back? I'm just going to embrace it. Is there any way back for Bold Hayes in 2019? There was never a chance Bottas was ever going to beat Lewis. Bottas is a good driver. He's not a championship winner, um, especially up against someone like Lewis. I still think he struggled to beat Seb. So um, he's a very, very, very good second driver. And unfortunately, that's the way I have to put it for him. I said the same thing about Rosberg. Rosberg won a title because Lewis had a bad season and that's it. Uh, let's talk about our missed apex award then i'm going to give it to whoever thinks that it's still a good idea to do the interviews as they get out of the cars and not just wait until they get to the podium i think nick alexander who dropped out of this show because his uh, computer was sad about ferrari losing uh, he he made that point that i can wait as an f1 fan i can wait four minutes for the interview there's two things wrong with that firstly you never get a great reaction you know like the olympics or the commonwealth when they chuck it in the face of someone who's just run 1500 meters which is a really long way to run really quickly and they're like yeah this was a i really i just i want to lie down it's not a good idea 
And the most exhausting part of an F1 race looks like getting out of that car, unhooking yourself from everything, taking off your helmet, making sure your hair looks kind of okay for being on telly, and then climbing out of the halo. It's not a good idea to do those interviews straight away. It was really undignified watching Deresta chase down the mall. It was just trying to find Bottas to say, sorry, not sorry, mate. Why is that giant man chasing that racing driver around a pit lane? It was just awful. We don't need that. That needs to be fixed quickly. Because at the end of the race, when they all come into Park Ferme, it's a really emotional scene where they go and uh, hug their team and stuff. That's the commentator's time to shine that's the time for them to do this quick summary they've got a few minutes before the podium and, and that's their job and that that has been the commentators kind of a place you don't need f1 will buxton paul Dresta to be there in your face having that awkward interview or they just need to brief the drivers better here's what you do at the end of the race you get out you find the tallest man in paddock history and you go and talk to him um matt who do you think has missed the apex sorry my missed apex just lasted eight minutes I do apologize. Oh, God, we've run massively over. I don't care. It's our podcast, Matt. We can do what we want. It is indeed our podcast. We can indeed do what we want. Who missed the apex? All right. This is going to be a bit of a surprise. Sky. Sky Broadcasting missed the apex. And they've been missing the apex by, bear with me, not showing the Formula 2 race live. This is a real problem. Instead of showing the race live, what they've been doing is showing this very nicely put together Formula One live magazine show, which could just as easily happen after the race. And I'm not entirely up on the reasoning behind it, other than that I think they want to sort of focus on F1 and or there's a producer who needs to demonstrate that they're really worth whatever they're being paid. And I want to make the final point. The reason this matters is the drivers that come to Formula One come generally from Formula Two. This is where we get our glimpse of the future, those of us who really follow the sport. And it's a real shame that they're kicking it down the ladder at a time when I feel like they should be doing the opposite. I agree with Matt. Sorry about that, listeners. I know that's kind of ruined the premise of the show. Uh, but do you remember, Matt, I think it was this winter, or the, the winter just gone, we discussed having a F2 podcast or an F2, F3 podcast. The simple fact is there is not the interest in it to justify it. But in reality, it's it's like the championship to the Premier League. There's some amazing drivers in there. There's some amazing teams in there. There's some fantastic and amazing action in there. It's a good support series. Why? Are, that, that's... I say, why are we? Why, why is the sport not making making more of it? Are they trying to protect those young guys? Or if if they made it something that was a bit more of an event, that was a bit more followed, it wouldn't be necessarily something that you have to get into and out of straight away into F1. It could be a entertaining series in itself. It is an entertaining series on itself. And because it's fairly low cost, it's a, it would be a great gateway to Formula One because you wouldn't need the commercial return on it that Formula One needs to make itself run in terms of profit and loss. So you could have Formula Two on free to air with your highlights package that everyone still complains about, even though I think it's a great publicity deal for FLM. Yeah, no, they need to do more. Uh, IndyCar has IndyCar lights. We've seen two drivers graduate. They get a full ride. They get help with sponsorship to move up to the main thing. They they ran in uh, Sonoma, and it was it was great to see them. They both did a good job. 
and and this is this is the missing link. It, it's and it's I think it's going to happen because now you finally have someone looking at the whole picture. We're looking at the trees okay. in the forest and not just like the leaves and whatever catches our fancy. Our sharp in the chat room says, "I'd rather watch F two than Haas drivers playing giant Jenga or the equivalent." <laughs> exactly. A, a really good this point. is what I'm saying. Let's see some real racing, Jeansy. We haven't gone to you yet. Uh, who missed the apex for you? You're not going to believe this. Lewis Hamilton missed the apex, you literally, think? in Q in Q three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If if it wasn't for that, because he was on for a good lap, he'd smashed the first sector. Um, if he'd just taken it a little bit easy, he was massive in the third sector as well. Um, he'd have been on pole, he'd have led from pole, and we wouldn't have had this whole massive hoo ha, <laughs> which has Bradley Philpot losing his mind in our WhatsApp chat at the moment. Is he? But, uh, we can cover that another day. No, yeah. go on, tell us, tell tell us what he said. Let's let's make oh, that private chat public. Come on, let's do it. Oh yeah, he he seems to think that um he's he's astounded at what oh. Mercedes could possibly do. He's acting like a Ferrari fan, and he's really not a Ferrari fan. So that's interesting. <laughs> uh, do we have a pony award? Anyone? Either of you guys? Hands up if you do. Okay, good. That means I have to quickly go to my my thingy app. Here we go. Daddy, I want a pony. Loud. And I want it now. Who gets your pony award, trumpets? My pony award goes to the leader of Russia for insisting on being in the cool down room, for insisting on not having champagne sprayed upon his pasty. Well, okay, I'll stop right there. And for totally crashing the proper etiquette of the podium. They were up there, Russian camera crews were up there. It was a thing, and it, they completely violated every agreement they made. Go figure. Sorry if I made my bike might get a little bit hot there. And yeah, so like big massive pony. I am the ruler of the country, and I will do whatever I want. Why is it getting hot in uh, here? I'm, I'm feeling a little. I'm feeling a little bit hot. I'm feeling a little bit agitated. I just like to say that Matt Trumpets' opinions are his own and not that of Missed Apex Podcast. Uh, we very much admire the Russian administration. It, in Russia, the orders team you. Yeah, well, they, <laughs> they, 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 I hear they are great tourists in your country. Well, we're not definitely not going there. Uh, <laughs> Jeansy, did you have a pony as well? Um, yeah, it was. Um, 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 please, sir, uh, uh, am I going to be able to take the lead back? Please, please, yes. is, is that going to be possible? Yeah. Right. Um, and, and the same thing could happen to um, uh, Perez because the amount of laps that he begged to overtake Perez, um, Ocon, and then did nothing, absolutely nothing. So, um, yeah. It's, it's not been parts. a great couple of weekends for Perez, has it? Jeansy, I know that you like it when people follow you on Twitter. How can people do that? I'm at Alex Van Jean on pretty much anything you look for me on. Um, but yes, please follow me on Twitter. I'm starting to do a little bit more. I've been a bit quiet this week just because I've been busy, but um, I'm starting to do a little bit more. Uh, I'll be doing more about my racing. And when I've got my next race coming up at Buckmore in a few weeks time, I might do some live video from there. Um, but yeah, so follow me. I like when people follow me. It makes me feel happy. So if you want to make me feel happy, click that like button. Trumpets, where can people catch up with you and your stuff? You can catch up with me at MattPT55 on the Twitters, which is mostly where I hang out alternately talking to my wife, yelling about politics and uh, <laughs> retweeting pictures of rally to Bradley yeah. and saying, this is what it looks like when I drive with you. Yeah, yeah. caught some of that. Yeah, a lot of goings on there in America. I 
I do wonder what a Matt-based politics podcast uh, would look like. But I know you and I, we've been talking uh, as I as I expand my media empire more about doing the kind of podcast you and I have wanted to do outside of Formula One. I, we've we've got to do something soon, have we not? Oh, I think so. There can be no better time than now. I really miss Dad Hub. I miss what we did with Dad Hub. It was it was far too narrow a subject, but the same Dad Hub spirit. Uh, but just a general kind of life survival guide might be fun. Yeah, I, I, I think I think it would be perfect. And the cross pond thing is just, yeah, is going to work. I like it because you Americans are so wrong about everything. You can follow me at Spanners Ready on Twitter, Spanners Ready on Facebook, or follow me on FM Radio by following Spanners BBC. We have a race review next Sunday. So make sure you follow us for the Japanese Grand Prix. And remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex with Spanners, Alex, and Matt. And not Nick, because he came up with an excuse, because he doesn't like talking to us when Ferrari don't do very well. He's like, uh, 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 guys, got a bit of a cough. Uh, and then when that didn't work, he's like, oh, my screen is flickering. It was just him with his phone. He had the flashlight on and he's moving his hand backwards and forwards over it. Oh, no, my CRT monitor is causing me to have some kind <laughs> of reaction and I can't be on the show and talk about how Ferrari have failed. <laughs> I'm just checking. I wasn't very hamposy in this one. I, I I curtailed that, right? I gave the missed apex to Lewis. It's like you don't listen back to the shows you're on. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay, Matt, as usual, let's do our post-show many, many minutes, an embarrassing amount of minutes after the end of the show, as planned, our comment of the week. Comment of the week. It's been three years of me forgetting comment of the week. Why don't I just put it in the show notes? It's never been there in the show notes. I blame you. You you are like the kind of corporal. You're the corporal of this platoon. You're bullets and beans. This is down to you. You should be looking after this for us. It's typical to blame your problems on other people. I understand. This. Yes. It's okay. I have a child. It's okay. I forgive you. Uh, carry on. Right. So uh, working in reverse order, do you know how we were arguing? Uh, we brought up the comparison of Rosberg and Botas. Well, there's a clear winner of that, and that's going to be uh, Stuart Arcari pointing out that Rosberg was much better at throwing caps. Good. Okay. Uh, Nick Alexander, no, wanting he to can't try win. and get his name in somehow, suggested that instead of a truly train, it was a K Maglev train, which I thought was clever enough to mention. I don't get it. Uh, I'm not smart. I don't get that either. Maglev train? No. Nah. Magnetic levitation train. That Still sounds amazing. Up. Have you seen the levitating frogs? I digress. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. I already did my one digression with the screensaver guy. So let's carry yep. on. Yeah. No, no problem. Uh, we get Neuropean saying Nick Alexander's super soft video cable was blistering on the gas, asking Alex to bang his head against the mic to test it. Um, <laughs> Oh, and this is down. These it's between these two. Ray Thompson, Small Blisters is my Billy Idol cover band, or oh, Phoenix Two K One. I'm loving Ferrari fans throwing stones from a glass house with no windows left in it. That one, that one. Do it, do it. Say it again. Say it again. <laughs> All right, Phoenix Two K One. You have one comment of the week for I'm loving Ferrari fans throwing stones from a glass house with no windows left in it. Comment of the week. 
United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come try their sheets with a 30 night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.